Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Good Friday, April 15th, we are studying Luke chapter 23, verses 50 to 56. Jesus has died, and now a man named Joseph from the town of Arimathea comes to bury his Lord. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Clint Poppy. Pastor Poppy serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Pastor Poppy, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks, Tim, for having me. It's always a great honor. As we get started, let's go through some context. We are on Good Friday. The The big event has happened. It seems like maybe this is a, a bit of a slide down, but there's important stuff here. What What is the context we need to know to help us look at this text about Jesus' burial? Well, it's been a it's been a wild and crazy 24 hours for Jesus, uh, de- depending on how far you go back. But uh, if you go back to Thursday evening, uh, especially in the Gospel of Luke, about in the middle of Luke 22, first third of Luke, Luke 22, we have the institution of the Lord's Supper, and then uh, a little bit later, starting at Luke 22. 21, uh, we have about 20 verses of Jesus teaching the disciples uh, about various things. Then um, in Luke 22, 39 and following, we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. In verse 47 of Luke 22, we have Jesus betrayed, uh, Judas leading the uh, ragtag bunch of people out there, and then he's arrested. In Luke twenty-two fifty-four and following, we have Peter's denial. Luke twenty-two sixty-three and following, we have the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin. And then when we start Luke twenty-three, this uh, we have Jesus before Pilate. And then Luke twenty-three six to twelve, we have Jesus being shuffled over to Herod. And then Luke 23, 13 to 25, we have Jesus back in front of Pilate again. Luke 23, 26 to 32, uh, the journey to the cross. Luke 23, 33 to 49, I think that's what you you mentioned, the big event. Uh, That's the crucifixion and death of Jesus. And now that brings us to the last six verses in Luke 23, the uh, events surrounding the burial of Jesus. And Luke 24, we have the resurrection, uh, the road to Emmaus, um, setting the stage for the ascension. All of, all of these things uh, are yet to come. And so that, that kind of sets the, uh, the immediate context and the uh, events the numerous events of the last 24 hours in Jesus' life. It really has been a, a wild and, and crazy ride for Jesus here these last 24 hours. He, of course, has, has known all along what's going to happen. He's been directing events so that they do proceed 
in this manner. But just, I mean, listening to you list them there, it's like you know, Jesus could use a bit of a rest. And, well, he's going to, <laughs> to do just that here on the Sabbath. Maybe that's... Exactly. Yeah, one, one way that we can reflect upon, upon this text from the burial of our Lord that sometimes I think is easy to overlook. We have the opportunity to reflect on it. You mentioned that's the immediate context. How about within the, the broader context of Luke? How does this function? Well, you know, many commentaries, including the uh, Concordia Commentary series, uh, makes, makes a big deal about Luke 9 verse 51 and i think that that verse really sets the stage for the second half of the uh, gospel of luke 951 i've grabbed my large print bible here so everything's in a little different spot um luke 951 says when the days drew near for him to be taken up he set his face to go to jerusalem and that that verse is really a, a key verse in Scripture. It's a key verse in the Gospel of Luke because Jesus is resolutely setting his face to Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him there. He knows that the uh, crucifixion is uh, waiting for him. He tells everybody repeatedly that this is what's going to happen when he gets there. The disciples try to stop him from going there. But he has set his face, like Flint, toward Jerusalem. And uh, that's good news for us on this Good Friday, because what Jesus accomplishes on the cross, paying for the sins of the entire world, all sin for all people for all time, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah, this is a beautiful text from Luke 23, where we see how Jesus has accomplished it, and he continues, even in his burial, to do what he has said. So we're looking at Luke 23, beginning at verse 50 this morning. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. That's our text for today. That's Luke 23, verses 50 to 56. Now, Pastor Poppy, I believe this is the first time we meet Joseph of Arimathea here in the Gospel of Luke. Tell us, uh, what are the details Luke gives us? Tell us about this guy. Well, the uh, the formula that that Luke uses to introduce significant people is uh, should be familiar. He uses the same uh, formula earlier on in uh, Luke 2. Let me look at my note here. Uh, Luke 2.25, when he introduces Simeon. But he tells us, first of all, his name. Then he tells us where he's from, the Jewish town of Arimathea. Tells us something significant about him. He was a member of the council, the Sanhedrin. And then it tells us that he was a good and righteous man. Um, Kind of code word for saying he had faith. And then it explains 
why he was good and righteous specifically, that he had not consented to their decision and action, that he was um, not a party to the kangaroo court and the uh, illegal court proceedings that took place uh, under the cover of darkness late at night. And then finally, that he was looking for the kingdom of God. And so we have those descriptors of Joseph. Some of the other Gospels give us uh, a little more detail about Joseph, and uh, specifically that uh, he was friends or close acquaintance, at least, with Nicodemus. We get that from John. And so um, we know he's rich. simply because he had a tomb that no one had ever been laid in before. So those are some of the bare-bones facts with regard to Joseph. Yeah, and Luke Luke gives us a good number of those. As you say, he, he doesn't specifically call him rich, though the fact that he has this tomb would be an indicator of that. So, the, I mean, the fact that you see a, a rich man who is also— good and righteous that's a significant thing that yes even the two even the rich can be saved though it is impossible with men it is possible for god to save even even the rich man joseph of arimathea and and also the fact that he's a member of the council that's that's a good reminder that you know we often speak about the sanhedrin or the scribes or the chief priests as these groups who are enemies of jesus and yet, even within those groups, there are some, Joseph, Nicodemus being two of the, the well-known examples, of those who do actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is. So important to see how, and I think it's a, a testament to the word of God that Jesus speaks and the authority with which he speaks it and, and how it does the work, that all of those times where you know maybe you're scratching your head thinking, why is Jesus wasting his time talking to these scribes and chief priests again, well, here's someone from that very group who heard that word of Jesus and believed it. It, If I can put it in air quotes, it worked when Jesus preached. (laughs) Yes, the word is powerful, mighty, and effective. The uh, spirit blows where the spirit wants to blow, and uh, it's uh, it's amazing sometimes the uh, the people you expect to uh, hear and believe sometimes don't and uh, just like here Joseph of Arimathea we have a uh, rich famous influential person who hears believes and acts uh, he acts on that faith with with you mentioned that the way Luke introduces Joseph here in Luke twenty three. He uses the same language when he introduces Simeon, all the way back in Luke chapter 2. Simeon, the the aged saint, who's there in the temple, and he's waiting, kind of like Joseph is is waiting. Are there some similarities that we can draw between Simeon and Joseph? Well, uh, it the key is what they're waiting for, mm-hmm. and uh, waiting for the kingdom. The uh, That's kind of a... Oh, I suppose that's a a phrase that gets tossed about, you know, maybe in kind of a nonchalant or cavalier way today. Oh, uh, I'm I'm going to get a cup of coffee and then I'm going to be about kingdom work. I don't really know what that means when I hear people talk that way. But uh, in Luke 2, beginning in verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Um, the consolation of Israel is uh, kind of a fancy way or a Lucan way of talking about waiting for the kingdom of God, waiting for the Messiah. And uh, Simeon's going to behold him in his infancy. Arimathea, or Joseph of Arimathea, is going to behold him and literally hold him in his death. And uh, there, there's uh, another, you know, connection even farther back in Luke when uh, uh, Mary uh, and Joseph, uh, different Joseph, uh, wrap the baby Jesus in strips of cloth or strips of linen, and Joseph of Arimathea is going to wrap the dead body of Jesus in in a in a shroud or in cloth as well. So we have some uh, some amazing connections way way back to the very beginning of Luke. I, I really I, I I like the connection to the the strips that you know he's wrapped in the swaddling cloths in Luke two. And, and how Joseph wraps him here in a linen shroud. The the connection, I'd never thought of this, but you put a really vivid picture in my mind. You know, I've, I've often pictured Simeon holding Jesus as that 40-day-old infant there, and he sings the nuke diminis, Lord, now you let your servant depart in peace. But now to put that, that image side by side with Joseph of Arimathea, as he now holds not the infant, but the man, Jesus, as he brings him down from the cross. And he can say the same thing that Simeon said. He's seeing the the end of, of the story, uh, the resurrection's coming. I mean, so, but this, this kingdom language, I mean, it, it carries over now here, which is just a, a mystery, I think, because wait a second, you're, you're saying the kingdom of God that Joseph is waiting for, it's coming and it's here because this guy has has died? Yeah, that's that's the kingdom. Jesus is bringing the kingdom, even in his death and burial. This is all a part of his, his reigning as king for us, which is probably not the way we were looking for the kingdom to come. I, I don't know that Joseph expected to see it like this on, on that Good Friday, but he did. And that's a, that's a pretty marvelous thing. Well, when you when you when you see that Joseph of Arimathea is looking for the kingdom of God, and it's very likely that Joseph is the one who pries the crown of thorns off of the dead body of Jesus, uh, the kingdom of God is coming uh, much quicker than he thought, and in a probably in a way that he never dreamed possible. Mm, yeah. Well, and just just thinking back to the the text we looked at yesterday. When Jesus is on the cross, the the kingdom that's the that's the conversation that Jesus has with the thief who is repentant. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus tells him today you're going to be with me in paradise. That that the kingdom's here right now because of because of Jesus. And so what the what the thief on the cross got to experience from Jesus now Joseph too is is witnessing again as you said in, in a way that he probably wasn't expecting and looking for but but here it is well and earlier in chapter 23 when we're now that we're on this uh, king kingdom talk um, the the charge that's brought against Jesus uh, let's see Matthew, uh, Luke 23 uh, verse 2 they began to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is 
Christ, a king. And then Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you've said so. And so we've got this king talk going on uh, in this chapter leading up to the uh, death of Jesus. And then verse 37 of Luke 23, uh, starting in verse 26, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. So we've got this king talk um, everywhere. And, uh, you know, you want to think back just a few days, you know, we're recording this for uh, uh Good Friday, uh, think back just a few days this week, and uh, Palm Sunday, who comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, but the king of the Jews, uh, the, the king who comes to save us. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Well, and, and even thinking back through, you know, with this kingdom language, as you started us with the immediate context within the last 24 hours, that's really where Jesus began when he gave his Lord's Supper before he instituted it and said, this is my body, this is my blood. He, he tells his disciples, he, he uses his language twice. I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. I mean, so this, these last 24 hours full of so many events, it's, you almost have these bookends on it with the kingdom of God right there in the last supper. And now here's the kingdom of God yet again. This is a a big theme. And, and again, the surprise is, you know, thinking, think through the disciples minds there at the beginning of Luke 22. Okay. Well, when the kingdom of God comes, Jesus, well, well, when's that going to be here? Here it is already 24 hours later, Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God. And again, you know, we got to, we're going to keep going. We're going to get to Easter and the resurrection. That's, that's coming. That's part of the kingdom too. But this, the crucifixion, the burial, this is a part of Jesus reigning as our king. And I mean, I think we can talk a little bit more about that, Pastor Paul, because this is like, he's the king that we need. We may not expect him to come like this king, but this is actually the king that we need, is the one who does this for us. And the, uh, the, the wild and crazy thing about this is, generally speaking, uh, the subject does not want the king to come for a visit. When, when you are in the presence of the king, uh, usually something bad is about to happen. The king is going to lower the boom. The uh, king found out that you were doing something wrong, and the king is going to come and chastise you or send someone to chastise you or punish you in some way. But here we have the, the great reversal in that the king comes to us we don't have to beg for an audience with the king. The king comes not to hurt us, not to harm us, not to punish us, but to save us. Mm. And how does the king do this? The king does this by offering his own life, his own blood for the subjects who disobey. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a marvelous thing to see. that, And, and that's, you know, the subjects who disobey, they, they, we deserved that punishment when the king comes to visit. But when the king comes to visit, he actually takes that punishment on himself. He makes it his own. He bears it in our place. 
that's the king that we have. And I, you know, it's it's no accident that when when Jesus shows up later and he identifies himself to his disciples, and then all the way into the book of Revelation, the way you know it's Jesus is because he bears those scars. That's that's the that's the identifier that here's the king who came to save you, not to not to condemn you, but to save you. Those those scars, that's what marks him as this good and gracious king. He doesn't come as a ghost, uh, a mirage, an apparition of any kind. Uh, he comes to us leaving his uh, heavenly throne, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, taking on flesh and blood. He lives a flesh and blood perfect life. He dies a flesh and blood innocent death. He rises from the dead in flesh and blood. And now he continues to come to us in flesh and blood. But as you said, that flesh still bears the scars, proving that he is who he claimed to be, the lamb who was slain, but now lives and reigns forever. Mm. Now, Joseph is the one who takes this body from the cross. That We've learned who he is. Now Luke tells us in pretty good detail what Joseph actually does. So in verses 52 and 53, what take us through these actions. When Joseph goes about getting the body of Jesus, how does he go about the burial? Well, this uh, in verse 22, it says, This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Uh, the, word, uh, the, the word in the Greek there for asked is literally begged. Uh, so he begs Pilate for the body of Jesus. This tells us that, that Joseph is uh, a pretty influential person because not just anyone could gain an audience with Pilate. Pilate wouldn't see just anyone. But Joseph was, was bold. He goes, he begs for the body of Jesus. He secures permission from Pilate to take down the, uh, the body of Jesus. And uh, then he took it down, and uh, Luke tells us he lap- wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. So he takes down the body of Jesus, he wraps it in a linen shroud, and he lays it in the tomb. Now from the, from the other accounts, and we have parallel accounts in uh, the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, that uh, give us a few uh, minor but additional details with regard to this. And uh, we discover there that this is his own tomb. Uh, so that tells us also that uh, Joseph was um, wealthy and uh, um, was able to afford not only a new tomb, but a new tomb very close to the city. Mm. And, and you mentioned earlier that we can draw a connection here again to Luke 2. Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths as an infant. Now here he is wrapped in a linen shroud by Joseph. Uh, Luke makes the, the, or gives us the detail about the tomb, that it's a tomb where no one had ever yet been laid. Why, why is that a significant detail? Well, I think it's, I think it's significant on a number of levels. Uh, the, the base level is it tells us something about Joseph, that, uh, you know, he's wealthy and he can afford a tomb. Um, it probably also tells us that Joseph, uh, you know, normally the tombs are family tombs. 
and so you are you are buried in the in the tomb of your ancestors and uh, the the various bones from the uh, relatives after the bodies decayed they're put into a bone box and put on the shelf but uh, quite quite frankly uh, joseph may not have or may have been uh, cut off from his family for some reason but i think it uh, it helps us when we know that uh, this is a new tomb where no one had ever yet been laid, this tells us something about the resurrection, mm-hmm. because um, there's there's going to be no doubt. Uh, there's either a body in the tomb or there isn't a body in the tomb, because this was a brand new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. So I think that gives us uh, a little bit of uh, additional help or proof with regard to the resurrection. And uh, finally, I think it tells us that uh, 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 Jesus, even though he is treated like a common criminal in his death, he is given the highest of high honors, the, the honors of a high prophet to be buried in a tomb that is brand new where no one had had yet been laid. Uh, Jesus is literally going where no one has gone before because he's going to be in the tomb for three days and then he's going to burst right out. Yeah, that's right. I, the, the uniqueness of who Jesus is and, and what he accomplished by his death and then his coming resurrection is very much emphasized here by the fact that it's a new tomb. You can connect it, I think, as well to the donkey that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. That's one he, he instructs his disciples there to find one that no one's ever sat on it before. He rides that one into Jerusalem. Now, as he as he dies in Jerusalem, he is laid in a tomb that no one's been in before. And and as you're saying too, that this is this shows that the resurrection is is real. Like let let's just say that the tomb shows up empty on the third day. Let's just say that that happens, like Jesus said it's going to. There's only <laughs> one possibility as to who it is that's alive. There, there's not a number of bodies in there that's like, well, which one? Which one is it? No, he's the only option. So it, it is. It is evidence for his his resurrection in his burial, and that's where this text is headed toward the resurrection on the third day. We're going to pick up more of our text here from Luke 23 on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on this Good Friday. We're talking about the burial of Jesus with Pastor Clint Poppy. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Good Friday. It is April 15th. We're studying Luke chapter 23, verses 50 to 56, the burial of Jesus with Pastor Clint Poppy. He serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. 
Pastor Poppy, prior to the break, we were looking at the actions Joseph takes in burying Jesus. And we've, we've said this is Joseph's tomb. The way Luke describes it, it's a tomb cut in stone. And we talked about no one was ever laid there before. This tomb cut in stone, what, what's the, the setup? What should we, we, we be picturing in our minds here? Well, you know, we're, we're pretty familiar with uh, burial in the United States. Uh, some places around the world have, have more difficulty, but uh, usually you, you dig a hole and uh, you bury your loved one. That's kind of how it works. But in, a, in an area where it's uh, very, very rocky and mountainous, uh, that's not an option. And the, uh, the more wealthy, especially, would, uh, would have a family tomb. And this would be cut out, uh, carved out in, uh, in the rock, and it would be large enough so that there would be several, you know, bone boxes that would be uh, put on the shelf of your, of your relatives. It was, it was done with uh, meticulous care. The body was uh, prepared, washed, uh, anointed with uh, spices because rotting corpses uh, tend to give off kind of a stench. And so periodically the family members would go in and gather up the, uh, the bones that didn't decompose and put them, uh, put them in a bone box. So that gives kind of the picture here. And uh, we, we know from the uh, parallel accounts that this was uh, Joseph's own tomb uh, in uh, Matthew 27, it says, uh, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And then, um, to keep the uh, grave robbers from uh, coming, uh, it was very common that this, uh, this burial area would uh, be sealed somehow. In uh, Matthew 27, 50, 27, 60, it goes on to say, And he, Joseph, rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. And so that's, uh, those are some of the details that, that uh, Matthew gives us. Mark 15, beginning at verse 42, says, um, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, so it tells us he bought this special, uh, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So uh, not, not great extra details, but uh, Matthew and Mark give us a, um, a, a few 
extra details, uh, some some excellent little tidbits there, uh, with regard to the actions of Joseph taking charge, taking courage, going to Pilate, and uh, buying a shroud, putting it in the tomb, uh, the body of Jesus in the tomb, and then rolling a stone on top. Yeah, the the stone comes in Luke 24, as Luke records it. He's going to let us know that the stone is moved. Here, here he doesn't record the, the stone being placed, but certainly it was. And of course, in, in John's gospel, John also tells us about the involvement of a man named Nicodemus, who's another one of the, the Sanhedrin who believes in Jesus. He helps Joseph in this, in this deed, and we know that from, from John 19. He records that for us. Yeah, in uh, in John, uh, and and again, you know, John three, we have this uh, marvelous uh, late night discussion with uh, Jesus and Nicodemus, and uh, just a, just a marvelous section of scripture, and you know, perhaps because Nicodemus is such a big player in uh, John chapter three, that's why uh, the Holy Spirit wants to connect us back to uh, to him in uh, John 19, uh, starting in verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, that's an interesting tidbit, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about the garden, the the new tomb. No one had ever been laid there. And because the day, uh, it's, it's about sunset, they had to hurry. Um, we can probably surmise that with the death of Jesus, happening at roughly three o'clock in the afternoon and sunset being roughly six o'clock in the evening, that all of these events with regard to getting permission from Pilate, buying the shroud, wrapping Jesus or taking him down from the cross, wrapping Jesus, putting him in the tomb, that all these things happened in that three hour time span. Now, that time span it, that takes us back to Luke then, because Luke starts talking about the time. In verse 54, he says, it's the day of preparation. The Sabbath was beginning, or even dawning is the way the, the Greek literally speaks. What What's Luke telling us when he talks about the day of preparation and the beginning of the Sabbath? Well, the, the day of preparation, um, you know, for, for Israel, it's the day before the Sabbath, the day that you, you uh, get all your work done, because um, the Sabbath uh, is a day of rest, a day when uh, when work is outlawed. It's a day of worship. It is uh, it's a day that is set aside by the Lord, and you got to get all your work done on the day of preparation. Because when the Sabbath day comes, you rest. It's not time to work, and it's really amazing on this Good Friday. Um, Good Friday is the ultimate day of preparation because Jesus got his work done. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a, um, I believe it's in Deuteronomy, uh, 
Um, let me check my – oh, Deuteronomy 21, beginning at verse 22. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is accursed by God, and you shall not defile your land that Yahweh your God gives you for an inheritance. So Jesus is keeping the law even with his corpse. Uh, just it's just amazing when you when you think of it in that term. Oh yeah, for sure. And and just the you know the connection. And I know John's the one that records the words of Jesus. It is finished. But I mean, I, that's I, I think that's very much one of the things that's going on here. And I, I was I mentioned it earlier when you were talking about all the things Jesus has done. And now what's he doing? He's resting because all of his work, the first six days of the week is done. Now he gets to rest on the Sabbath, which is what his followers are going to do as well. And then what's going to happen when the, the first day of the week arrives in chapter 24? Here's a new creation. I, mean, I think that's one of the reasons why we can't neglect the burial of Jesus, because it gives us that, that full picture of what Jesus is doing. Here he is. He has, he has done his work of creation, recreation, and now the, the first day dawns and we get to live in that new creation with him. Jesus has taught so much uh, with regard to his death and his burial and makes a connection to uh, his own death and burial uh, akin to Jonah spending three days in the belly of the great fish. We have many, many other burial pictures and imageries throughout Scripture. And, uh, of course, we have uh, numerous... um, death and resurrection, burial images uh, throughout the New Testament scriptures, especially with regard to holy baptism. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I, I know we're going to get to reflect on that as as we think about the importance of Jesus' burial. To, to round out the account here from Luke, so the day of preparation, it's Friday. Sabbath is beginning. That's about to be that day of rest. So the women, and we've heard about these women throughout Luke, they're not named specifically here, but you mentioned some of their names earlier in the parallel accounts. There's a couple of Marys. It's very, a lot of people named Mary here. But these women, they they are there. They're making preparations. Tell us about what the women are, are up to on this day of preparation. Well, the, the women did not have, because of the, the time of Jesus' death, it being the day of preparation, uh, Jesus needing to be buried right away, they uh, needed time to put together the, the uh, spices and the ointments, as is the burial custom of the Jews. And so they're, they're preparing these things. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we take it for granted that, uh, you know, they're just, they're doing their work. But uh, imagine the immense grief that Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, these women, and these women are named in Luke, but uh, we have to wait till we get to uh, 24, verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them. So we know that there are many women, and uh, this this Sabbath rest is also a uh, Sabbath of great grief and heartache because um, 
they do not realize, uh, even though they've been taught repeatedly, they do not realize that um, Jesus, as a part of his work, is about to rise from the dead Hmm. and uh, wipe their tears away. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's a, a helpful reminder as we think about this text that for, I mean, you know, we talked earlier about how the kingdom of God, Joseph is actually getting to see the kingdom of God coming in, in front of his eyes, but he doesn't realize it as he's doing these things. And to, you know, to you, you put it very well earlier, Joseph's probably the one who takes the crown of thorns off of Jesus' head. I mean, and, and all of the the blood that would have been involved in this, it's not a, it's not a pretty sight. And the great grief that Joseph, Nicodemus, these women would have been experiencing is, a, is an important thing to keep in mind. And it makes the the joy of what happens on the third day that much greater than the the surprise. I mean, I think, and, you know, looking forward into Luke, you've got those two disciples on the road to Emmaus and how they tell Jesus, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You know, we, we had hoped he was going to bring the kingdom. And then, of course, Jesus says, well, he did. <laughs> and and he shows them. <laughs> he shows them. Exactly. He, you know, he begins to open their eyes, which is what we, I mean, that's, and that's the, the beauty of it for us is that we, our eyes have been opened by Jesus so that we can see this. And, and, you know, when we, when we worship on Good Friday, there is that, that sense of grief that I think comes as a part of that worship service. But it, but it is always attached because we know how how everything goes. We know what's really happening because our eyes have been opened by Jesus to see that, yes, this is the kingdom of God coming, even in the midst of, of this death, life is, is going to come from it. It brings our, it brings our Lenten journey, uh, which began with black on the altar and for many people, ashes on the forehead. Uh, it brings it full circle because Good Friday, either bare or black on the altar, the cross that was on our foreheads is now not not a sign or a symbol, but now the Son of God hangs naked and suspended between heaven and earth, offering himself as the once-for-all sacrifice for sin. Uh, this, is, this is where our Lenten journey takes us to. This is... Uh, Good Friday, and we're looking at the at the verses with the burial. Uh, you, you have to have a dead body in order to have a burial, mm. and uh, that's what Jesus has accomplished for with his once for all death on Good Friday. And now, just before dark, the uh, corpse of Jesus is laid in the new tomb. Mm, yeah, and then Luke finishes chapter 23 by saying, then on the Sabbath, he tells us very quickly about what happens on the Sabbath. They rested according to the commandment, which is, I mean, it's a very short statement, but I think significant that, well, I mean, one thing, it it does establish the three-day timeline that, you know, this is going to be the third day when Jesus rises. And the fact that they rest, I mean, as you said, we see even to the very end, even in his death, Jesus is keeping the law. And so his, his followers are, are following him in that. And I, I always find a, a, just a bit of irony. It's maybe not as strong in Luke as it is, I think, in Matthew particularly. Jesus, on multiple occasions in his ministry, was criticized by his, by his enemies that he didn't keep the Sabbath properly. You know, he was letting his disciples gather grain. Well, when it comes to this Sabbath, here he is resting 
because his work is complete and then the new creation's about to begin. So here's he he is in fact the Lord of the Sabbath keeping the Sabbath right here on this Sabbath day. And I think that's a that's a marvelous way to preach those other texts that come up occasionally throughout the year where where Jesus is uh, accused uh you know for plucking heads of grain on the sabbath or you know the the other accounts that are there I think I think that is a marvelous way to preach it and to connect it back to his sabbath rest in the tomb because uh we sometimes think we know what it means to keep the law. We're looking for little loopholes to get out of it. Jesus mm. fulfills it completely and perfectly for us. Mm. So we've got about 10 minutes here, Pastor Poppy. Let's reflect on on this text, because sometimes the, the burial of Jesus, I think, maybe gets left out. You know, I mean, we, we have Good Friday services in, in most of our congregations, but there may not be a service, say, on, on Saturday morning for the, the talks about the burial of Jesus. And, and, you know, I mean, even within the creed, you know, he was crucified, died, and buried. And sometimes we forget to talk about the burial of Jesus. What, what is, why is it so significant that Jesus is buried? Well, I think, I think, uh, again, it's on a number of levels. And liturgically speaking, uh, while, while this uh, section of Scripture is not uh, an appointed uh gospel reading for any service aside from there there are a few churches that would uh, celebrate or observe a holy saturday mm. service as opposed to an easter vigil and in that holy saturday service uh, this uh, burial of jesus is the appointed gospel but there are many of our congregations there there are five wednesdays in lent uh, not counting Ash Wednesday, which has its own pericope. But uh, the five Wednesdays in the agenda, there is a five-part gospel reading, passion reading. And the very last thing that is read on the uh, fifth Wednesday, or the fifth part of that passion narrative, is the burial of Jesus. And so I think people hear it, um, maybe more often than we think, but it is kind of a throwaway. We don't think much about these details. Um, with regard to the burial of Jesus, it is, I mean, it's important. Jesus died. He was buried and, uh, you got to have a corpse and a burial in order to have a resurrection. So, uh, you know, a good friend of mine always talks about the whole enchilada. You uh, can't just have a shell or you can't just have beans. It's all one package. And this is a very important part of the package. But with the burial of Jesus, we see the great care that God takes for the body of Jesus to be prepared and properly buried. And I think this teaches us something with regard to how we treat the bodies of someone who follows Jesus. Um, we, we live in kind of a throwaway society. We have more and more in the church where people die and uh, there's no funeral. There's no uh, burial that people are um, invited to. We have people that don't take care of the graves of their loved ones. And so I think we have um, 
God teaching us that it was important for Jesus to be properly cared for and prepared and buried. And I think that teaches us um, a great deal about death and about how we treat our loved ones in death. Well, and, and in in that, then it I think this text then serves to bring us comfort when we are those loved ones standing beside the graveside of of one that we're about to bury. And I'm I'm sure you've said this by by many a graveside, but when you you know in in the uh, in the burial service, the committal service, when you bless the grave. Jesus rest in the tomb is a part of that. So the, the prayer for blessing a grave goes like this. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, by your three day rest in the tomb, you hallowed the graves of all who believe in you, promising resurrection to our mortal bodies. And then again, later in the, the same committal service, we speak very similarly. Almighty God, by the death of your son, Jesus Christ, you destroyed death. By his rest in the tomb, you sanctified the graves of your saints, and by his bodily resurrection, you brought life and immortality to light, so that all who die in him abide in peace and hope. So that when when we stand by the gravesite of a loved one, knowing that Jesus was buried and then came out of his tomb brings us comfort as we as we bury our loved ones, that we know that that burial is it's a rest that body will get up again. And that, I mean, so maybe we don't read the burial of Jesus at the graveside, but that text is, is huge when you're standing there by the graveside of a Christian loved one so that you would know that that's just a rest for them. The Lord will raise them on the last day. It's, it's huge. And, uh, there's also, uh, that teaching as well, if Jesus has sanctified the graves of the saints, of those who die in the faith by his three-day rest in the tomb, that that grave, that grave site is holy. Mm. It's holy ground, and we should treat it with the dignity and respect that it deserves, because a precious Lamb of God is sleeping here, and when the time is right, Jesus is going to wake that lamb back up. Now, you mentioned this earlier, Pastor Poppy, at least I know you mentioned to me, and I think you, you said it while we were talking earlier on air, that there's a baptismal connection to be made to the burial of Jesus as well. What's what's that connection? Well, many, many uh, of our churches, and uh, if you haven't seen this in a Lutheran church, if you've been to a funeral in a Roman Catholic church or an Orthodox or Anglican church, you have... Uh, probably witnessed a casket with a large garment, uh, like a blanket. It's called a pall, P-A-L-L, a funeral pall, and that is a baptismal blanket or a baptismal garment. As that baptismal garment is placed on the casket, or uh, shortly after it's placed on the casket, depending on the uh, tradition in the congregation, uh, Romans 6 is read. Don't you know that all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? If you were baptized into a death like his, you are certainly also baptized into a resurrection like his. We talked earlier about the clothing. Uh, When Jesus was born, he was wrapped in swaddling cloth, strips of clothing. When Jesus is dead, his body is wrapped in a linen shroud, uh, a linen shroud that was uh, 
unfolded with great care uh, after his resurrection. And we, as followers of Christ, in God's gift of holy baptism, where he literally delivers Good Friday and Easter to us in the waters of holy baptism, we are wrapped in a robe of Christ's righteousness. And the funeral pall on top of the casket is a visible reminder that from the moment we were baptized, and even in death, we are robed with the robe of Christ's righteousness. We are literally clothed with Jesus. Yeah, the baptismal connection to the burial of Jesus there in Romans 6 is is so wonderful. And, you know, I mean, because if we've been united with him in those things, if he's carried us with him into death and into burial, then certainly he will carry us into resurrection, which is where we're headed. So, Pastor Poppy, it's Good Friday today. We've got about a minute left here. Help us to, to wrap things up. Give us the good news from Jesus' burial and point us forward to the hope that's coming on the third day. Throughout Scripture, throughout all the pages of the Old Testament, people were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, the one who would fulfill all the promises of Scripture all the way back to Genesis 3.15, the one who would crush the serpent's head once and for all. As Jesus hangs on Calvary's cross, he screams out, it is finished, it is accomplished, it is completed. Everything necessary for your salvation is accomplished in the perfect life, glorious death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Jesus has died. Jesus is risen. It's Good Friday. I hope you have an opportunity to attend an Easter vigil service tomorrow and especially celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus on Sunday. Pastor Clint Poppy is pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, helping us today with Luke chapter 23, verses 50 to 56. Pastor Poppy, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. It's always a great pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Jesus has died. It is good Friday. He has died for you, dear saints of God. Rest in that good news that Jesus is your Savior. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Have a blessed Good Friday, a blessed Easter on Sunday. I'll talk to you again on Monday.